0: Thank you for joining us for the U-City Sermon of the Week. We invite you to partner with us through giving at slash give. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, our Instagram page, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for updates as well as our weekly live stream services on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Welcome. So, we're, we're, we're going to go ahead and do a little bit of an investigation. In fact, I'm going to do probably more of the investigation. We're going to go through a parable, and it's a, a parable of the wicked tenants. And um, there's a lot to unpack in it. There's metaphors that need to be explained, and, and Jesus uses metaphors a lot. Um, but we're going to see ultimately that there is a lot of meaning for us in this passage. It's known as a parable of judgment, and we're going to see the, the patience of God in it. We're going to see the people of God. We're going to see what, uh, what fruit-bearing people look like. In fact, this is going to tie into our purpose and what we're designed for. So it's kind of cool that we're doing this at the beginning of the year. Um, We're also going to look at the patience of God and how God's patience can inspire us to be more like him. Uh, We're going to look at the Son of God. We're going to look at judgment and justice of God. And then ultimately, we're going to look at the plan of God this morning. So my prayer is that something in this message is going to strike you. Something in this message is going to cause God to stir inside you affections for him and to, to leave here with um, a little more conviction on what you believe and what your your purpose is. So let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll I'll read the passage uh, for us. Father, thank you for this grace of being able to meet together um, at U City Church. Thank you for the community, and um, you've ordained that all of us are here, and we are the body of Christ. We get to sharpen one another. We get to learn from one another. We get to hear your word preached. And um, I pray that you do something significant and powerful in each of our lives this morning. Use me, Lord, to deliver your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles or you want to use a pew Bible, we're in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 12. If you'd like to join us, Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. And this parable is in verses 1 through 12. 12. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out. Out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So we're going to start with the the people of God. That's our first point. That's going to be in verse 1. And it says, He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So first, we want to figure out what this parable, what's the point of this parable? And we see the answer in in verse 12. Verse 12 says, And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he, Jesus, had told the parable against them. So this parable is told against the chief leaders and the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel. And this is what Jesus uses to describe as a, a tenant. So the tenants are the chief priests and the Pharisees. And we see this vineyard metaphor. Vineyard, the vineyard metaphor in the history of of Scripture is known as the people of God, Israel. And we see this in Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. And verse 7 equates the vineyard with Israel and Judah. So vineyards. Vineyards are meant to produce fruit, right? Sometimes they produce sour fruit, which aren't good. And that's what the Old Testament describes fruit that wasn't fruitful, wasn't good to use for, for food and drink. But in general, we're supposed to be fruitful. God's people are supposed to be fruitful. In fact, that's our end. That's our purpose. You know, a car has a purpose, right? It's to drive. It's not to sit in a garage. That's why it has tires. You put gas in it. It's meant to be on the road and fulfill its purpose and drive. And so my question to us is, have we really thought about what it means to fulfill our purpose, to be fruitful, the vineyards made to produce fruit? What are we made for? We see all these answers in Scripture. I know each of us have our own purpose within our jobs and our families, amongst each other in school, but what is, what's ultimately our purpose as Christians? And I don't know if you guys heard of catechisms, but there's this catechism called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's been around for centuries, and it's helped indoctrinate Christians into the doctrines and essentials of the faith. And the first question is, what's the chief aim of man? And the answer to that is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what does that mean for us? If our chief end is to glorify God, we should strive at every interaction, every inter- engagement, whether it's at work with family, to ask the question: How do I glorify God right now in this moment? In fact, how do I glorify God in my job? That's an important question. And how do I enjoy God? How do we enjoy God? I think when we see something like the the sunrise or the sunset, and we thank God for the gift of beauty that he gives us. When God blesses us with gifts, we, we give him praise and thank him. But we thank him for who he is. He's a good God. And we grow in our relationship with him so that we can enjoy him more. I mean, he's inexhaustible. But the more we learn, the more we can gain enjoyment of him in our lives. And what else does it mean to glorify, to glorify God? Well, we have, uh, we have the word of God, the way we read scripture, the way we study it, we honor God and glorify God. We have the great commandments and the great commission in scripture, love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love our neighbors as ourselves, and then reach the world with the gospel, right? Disciple the nations. This falls under that umbrella, So if you take away anything, I think this is one important takeaway. We exist. The human being is designed for God's glory. And it's designed to enjoy him. To enjoy him. So I think that's a barometer for our lives. That's what we're striving for. And uh, it's, it's a good reminder. So what happens? What happens when the people of God aren't fruitful? What do we see? What happens when they're wicked too? First for now, we see number two, the patience of God. Verses two through five says, when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And then he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. This is amazing. It's astonishing that the landlord let them get away with this. But we see another metaphor here, and it's the servant metaphor. Now, in scripture, we see servant described as the prophets of God in Zechariah 1:6, as the prophet, prophets of God. And we see the greatest prophet of all, John the Baptist, and he was murdered. So Jesus is, is pretty mad with a righteous anger that. The Pharisees and the chief priests, the leaders of Israel, are evil men and have done some really horrible and despicable things. And we also see this escalation of violence, right? They beat someone and they hit another one over the head and shamed them and then they killed another. We see this escalation of sin and corruption inside the human heart. And we also see that they're fruitless instead of fruitful. So the tenants kept everything for themselves and beat and killed them and sent them away empty-handed. They, weren't, they didn't have anything to show for God. They had no fruit to bring to God because of these bad leaders. So with the lack of fruit, the prophets and messengers of God getting beat, murdered, and evil leaders you think that God's patience would run out, but it doesn't. His patience doesn't run out. We see this throughout the Old Testament. I mean, this is a huge character trait of God, that he's a patient God. You know what Israel is known in the Old Testament? A harlot. Israel is known as a prostitute. That sold themselves out to foreign gods and idols And continued to cheat on God over and over again. God didn't, I mean, he brought judgment in certain ways, but God continued to accept Israel back. Talk about patience. This is the patience of God. I'd be hard-pressed to see if we show that kind of patience with one another. The answer is we don't. And here's... Here's, I want to kind of do a little, I guess, survey in the room here. Do you guys remember the, the slap heard around the world? Remember the Oscars? Okay, I didn't watch the Oscars, but you heard about it so much, right? You have a comedian, which is Chris Rock. He goes up to the stage, and his job is to roast everybody. Nobody takes it seriously, although, you know, it's debatable that he, he did cross the line and getting personal, but that's what they do, right? And Will Smith, uncharacteristically goes up on stage, and slaps Chris Rock. And in that moment, I think a lot of us, like we would have, before that slap, felt bad for Will Smith and his wife, but in that moment, we felt bad for Chris, Wa- Chris Rock. And for me, I don't know if you're in that camp, but how many of you like, didn't even want to watch a Will Smith movie after that? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, there are some people. How many, how many were mad at Chris Rock? Okay, Brittany is mad at Chris Rock. Okay, there's a couple here. Okay, all right, all right. So, you know, we have no excuse to not show patience, and that's, that's what struck me. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm in the camp of, I've always liked Will Smith, but in this occasion, I was like, you know, I don't even watch your movies. But who am I? If our model for patience is the God of Israel, the God of a harlot that continues to take them back, This should inform our relationships. This is something we should strive to do, right? It should inform our relationships. So the question remains, when will God's patience finally run out? It's not until he sends one other. He has to send one other. Who is it? It's the landlord's son, He sends the landlord's son. And the third point is the son of God. Verse 6 through 8. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What in the world is going on? Don't send your son. Why are you sending your son? They beat, they shamed, they murdered the people before him. You're going to lose your son. Why are you sending your son? He's going to die. Are you kidding? They are so corrupt and so depraved and so given over to the desires of their heart money, greed, power, control. That didn't matter. Instead of seeing the son as a person to be respected, they saw him as a person to be disrespected, even so far as throwing him out of the fence with the wild dogs after they killed him thinking they're going to take his inheritance. Because they thought that if this was his only son and he's coming, maybe maybe the landlord died and we're going to get the inheritance, not knowing what was coming. Not knowing what was coming. whether we are christian or not christians if we don't accept jesus if we don't believe in him and assent to him then something's wrong with our heart and if you let sin get out of control it becomes pervasive it goes into everything it falls into more and more corruption and We'll see that in a couple passages here that I want to turn to. In Romans 1, verses 18, actually Romans 1, 18, then we'll go to Hebrews, and let me explain kind of what happens in the heart of man. In fact, I know when the desires for God in my life have have gone down, usually it's because there's something in my life that isn't right. And If I let that fester, it leads to more and more unrighteousness, more and more darkness in our lives. Verse 18 in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, this is what happens. When we fall into sin in our lives, whatever we're going through, we begin to suppress the truth. We begin to ignore the truth. We begin to bury the truth. We put the truth in the closet. And darkness leads to more and more darkness. And this is, this is what happens throughout Israel's history. You see these with the kings of Israel. There's a wicked king, and it just consumed the nation, and darkness spread. There's a good king that honored God, and God blesses them. So sin is pervasive. Sin spreads like a fire. We've got to be very careful to catch it before it kills us. I think John Owen, a famous Puritan, said we've got to be killing sin, or sin will be killing Us. I'll go to another passage in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, even for the leaders of Israel, when they killed the Son. They gave in to the deceitfulness of sin, not knowing what it was going to lead to, ultimately. And we've got to be careful in our lives because there are consequences for everything. We may not think we do sin in the dark, but ultimately it corrupts, and there's consequences for all of these things that we do. So it's important to repent, figure out where that is, have God um, have God make visible the things that are hidden so that we can acknowledge those things and repent of them and grow in Christ. So what happens if they don't accept Jesus? What happens to the wicked tenants who killed the son? They face the justice and judgment of God. This is the fourth point, the justice and judgment of God. So let's take a look at verse 9. What will, the owners, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Finally. Some of you may be wondering, what is going on? Why, why is the landlord not doing something about it? Right? And this goes back to the patience of God. But finally, they've rejected the son, they've killed the son, and now they're facing the justice and judgment of God. God is going to destroy them. Here's the thing. If we're not Christians, we may say, oh man, I'm not part of that camp that killed the Son of God. But if we're not Christians, we are in our sin. We are sinners.